There's something about that name, isn't there? Happy Daylight Savings Time. Put a smile on your face. You can be seated. It's great to be with you. If you're visiting, I'm Scott. I'm the pastor at Adventure. And today, I'm going to ask two important questions. What causes terrible times and what changes terrible times? What causes terrible times and what changes terrible times? And what I know is that when stuff is difficult, I struggle to trust. I sometimes don't know who to trust, what to trust. You know, can I really trust my scale when I get on it in the morning? Is it lying to me? Is it having an off day? Who can I trust? What can I trust? I can admit personally, I have had trust issues, but I can tell you I'm getting way better at it. And this morning, I want to begin by saying, hey, I'm not the only one. Americans have trust issues. Here are the people that Americans trust the most. Statistically, this is a George Barna stat. Believe it or not, and I love this, 80% of Americans trust the military the most. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Okay. Second, teachers. They trust teachers, 72%. Third, police. Hey, give it up for our police. Big time, appreciate them. Uh, fourthly, doctors. 58% said, hey, they trust doctors the most. Kind of quiet out there. And then lastly, uh, religion or ministers. 42% said they trust pastors. Yeah. <laughs> Work to do, huh? <laughs> now, let me pause here for a moment. I appreciated this uh, point of information I got uh, from a friend this morning that according to... Uh, According to <clears throat> the Silver Springs, Maryland Nursing Department, nursing continues to be rated as the most trusted profession, according to the Gallup poll ranking of honesty and ethics in various fields. For the past 14 years, the public has voted nurses as the most honest and ethical profession in America. Give it up for the nurses. Now, what Americans trust least, this is kind of a downer, one another. 33%. That's not good. Yeah. Look to your neighbor and say, hey, 33%. Isn't that great? <laughs> Number two, banks. Banks, 27%. Yeah, they deserve it, right? <laughs> Number three, the news. Okay, we won't go there. Number four, the government. We won't go there either. Do we have any congressmen visiting today? Great to have you. Number five, Congress, 13%. Who can we trust? That's the question. What can we trust? And in this series that we've been in, this is our uh, fourth week. We have one more next weekend. This series is, is a pause in the midst of a storm that young, a young millennial in the first century is experiencing, Timothy. He's being entrusted with a ton of responsibility, and he's overwhelmed by widespread persecution, widespread desertion. He's overwhelmed by internal heresy in the church. And as a young 30-something, his mentor, the spiritual apostle Paul, is at the departure gate of his terminal. He's in the Mamertine prison. He is on execution row. He's about ready to depart. And the one thing that's so important to him is, Timothy, I'm trusting you with the gospel. I need you to get this because you're all I got right now. <laughs> Everyone else has deserted me. Can you imagine that kind of moment for him? I need 
you to know you can trust me, Paul's saying. You can trust the gospel, and you can trust Jesus. And the reason I want to talk about trust today, this is the battle that, that a lot of us fight. What can we trust? Is because a lot of us are making decisions in the midst of a lot of pressure, in the midst of some loneliness, in the midst of a lot of anxiety, where we want to make certain that the information we're getting is reliable, that the voices we're hearing from is reliable. The decisions we're making are the right ones, because if they are, the, the vision from the mountain you're headed towards will be outstanding. The question, what causes terrible times and what changes terrible times? Now, let me just make a little brief note before we dig a little deeper here. I want to say, if you're going through a tough season right now, I want to remind you that God is not, is, not, uh, is not mad at you. He's not disappointed with you. If you're going through a tough season, it's not because your heavenly father is uh, angry at you in any way. Uh, sometimes for Christians, God loves us enough to help us get better, and so he'll discipline us. And sometimes even the Holy Writ talks about the fact that it's not always comfortable, just like... Uh, when you go through discipline at home, although God does a way better job than, than our parents. Uh, secondly, if you're going through terrible times, we learned from the Job, ancient Job biography in the Old Testament. Some of you pronounce his name Job. Uh, we learned from his biography that the devil, the evil one, actually brings on hard times sometimes. And it has nothing to do with our lack of integrity. Sometimes the devil just hammers you. Okay. What we also learn is from the text we're looking at is that sometimes what brings on bad times is wrong choices, bad choices. And that's kind of where I want to start. And I'm going to read some scripture. I'm not going to read it all today, but I want to prepare you before I read this passage. This passage will tempt you to say, hey, wow, look at these people and maybe point your finger at the at the descriptions of the people that are in this list. You might say, wow, I saw this on Facebook last night. Wow. Or I saw this on Instagram this weekend. Don't point out when I read this list. It's a bleak, it's a Debbie Downer, it's a Eeyore Winnie the Pooh list, okay? (laughs) Sound exciting? Glad you came this morning. But as I read the list, I want to challenge you instead to see the old you in this list. See the old you in this list. And you may even find yourself getting a little poked, like, wow, there's still some habits in my life I need to work on. Instead of being offended, self-offend. Say, hey, you know what? I see a little of me in that. Or what was the old me before I met Jesus in that? Or what is Jesus is working on me in that? So with that, I want to ask this first question again. What causes terrible times? Let me begin just by reading in 2 Timothy. If you brought your Bible, I'll give you a moment to get there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the third of four chapters. Next week we'll be in chapter 4. And I'm just going to look at a few of the verses here uh, that Paul is trying to remind Timothy. Timothy, you're going to go through seasons of peril. There are going to be seasons of real difficulty. Don't be surprised. And I'll tell you why those seasons happen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I'm not going to read it in its entirety. Here it is. 
But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Can we just pause there? Does that seem overly simplified? People will be lovers of themselves. Secondly, uh, lovers of, what does it say? Money. <laughs> Number one, value. And I'm going to skip this next piece. If you want to have a depressing afternoon, you can read it. Uh, and then go down to verse four. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let me read that again. Lovers of what? Pleasure rather than lovers of God. Then he says, these folks, and there's 19 different descriptions. I spared you of a solid 10 of them, I think. Having a form of godliness, these people are denying its power. And then he gives this strong direction. Have nothing to do with such people. That's strong language. (laughs) Have nothing to do with strong people, these kind of people. And you'll see here in just a moment why they're dangerous. These are not just your you know, uh, uh, struggling folks, struggling Christ followers. These are not actually just non-believers. Uh, they're folks that come into the church uh, sometimes as, uh, as sheep, but um, they're wolves internally. And Paul's trying to warn Timothy of these people as he's at the departure gate. What we learn firstly here is that Uh, What causes terrible times are the choices people make, loving the wrong things, loving the wrong things. And the first thing he says that I read, it kind of serves as a bookmark, is uh, these folks are humanistic. They're lovers of themselves. And I want you to see this video that reminds us all of how easy it is to just love ourselves and just look out for ourselves. This is the teaching of humanism. A lot of universities are actually built on this kind of language. Check this out. That was another passenger's head that got stuck in the baggage area because this guy was just looking out for who? Himself. It's an easy, easy uh, default uh, habit in our nature. People that, are, that love themselves, it creates problems. If you're a lover of money, it can create problems. Uh, it's materialism. It's where money is your number one value. It, it, it can come with a lot of temptation if it's your number one value. And thirdly, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Pleasure first, comfort first, number one value. What causes terrible times? It's the wrong choices. It's loving the wrong things. That's the first piece of this. And then Timothy continues here in uh, chapter three, and he talks about, some of the wrong voices. Uh, I'm going to back up to verse 6 so you see the connection here. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with these people. 
They're the kind that worm their way into houses to gain control, to gain control over people. Uh, We still have, I think, uh, movements that target vulnerable people in our country and take advantage of them. Uh, Let me skip down to uh, verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres uh, opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. So they're teachers, but they oppose the what? So you could be a teacher in even Christendom and oppose the truth. One of my friends who's done a lot of work on university campuses says that most skepticism and most liberalism and aggressive opposition to Christianity comes from what department would you imagine on a university? The religious department. It's internal. Liberalism doesn't start um, with congregants or adventurers like those that are here, it typically begins at the seminary or the Bible college level, where folks start humanistic thinking. They start interpreting the Bible with their own mind and not, or through the lens of their own culture and not, not revering the miraculous nature and power of God. So just as Janice and Jambres, let me just pause here. These are the names of the two of two magicians that opposed Moses and Aaron when Aaron's staff was used to show God's power and his staff turned into a serpent, two magicians in Pharaoh's court actually uh, actually somehow manifested uh, rods turning or staffs turning into serpents and tried to deceive everyone that this really wasn't God's power, that God's power, the God of the Hebrews was no different than the, the multiple gods that they served. And this uh, Janus and Jambres, Jambres is actually mentioned in uh, a Hebrew commentary on the Torah. Uh, they're men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. Let me just pause there. There are some people whose faith will be rejected. Because they're not putting their trust in the all-powerful God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Their faith will be rejected. They're not committed to the truth. But they will not get very far because in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. What causes terrible times? Well, as I said earlier, loving the wrong things. What also causes terrible times? Listening to the wrong voices. It's easy to listen or think you're hearing the right voice when you're not. This wasn't a voice that I was listening to this week, but it was a sound maybe that you get in your home occasionally that's never convenient. Do you know what sound I'm talking about? It's when one of your fire alarm batteries starts going out. And uh, I brought the family together, and I just said, here's the deal. I ain't doing this. One of you's doing this. Now, I wasn't referring to Mrs. Matthews, but boys, that's yours. I ain't touching that. I just didn't have the... The, the, uh, the nine-volt fire alarm battery replacement kind of game face on. I had the somebody else's doing that face on. And so I found a willing worker, and we, I followed him, and we looked around to find out which fire alarm it was. And I don't know about your home, but I think we have too many fire alarms in the home. Uh, there's just too many. You don't need one every, every square foot. 
And so we, we pick it out and we realize, oh my word, this is the dreaded fire alarm. We have an entryway in our home that is, it has to be 18 feet high. And I think I'm understating, it's probably 22 feet high. And they conveniently put the fire alarm on the very top. So I, I brought the family together and I said, if, if I put Melissa on my shoulders and then, and then all the way up, we can do it. Anyways, it was actually time and we had the savings it's time to buy the ladder. So we headed to Home Depot and bought the ladder. I've looked at ladders for a long time. I'm familiar with the Louisville ladder. I'm familiar with the Little Giant. And, but what I saw there I really liked, it's called the Werner. It's American-made. I've, I've done the, the research on this. I wanted the Werner. It's got a complete spread of 25 feet, which would help me do my eaves. And it's got the scaffolding, and it, it was very expensive. And uh, so we bought it, and my wife just said, hey, just take the convertible. You'll be fine. It's like a truck. And I'm like, honey, have you not seen fail.org pictures? So we went at night, put down the, the, the top, and put the ladder. It wasn't at 25-foot extension. It was only at about 8 feet. And uh, one of my sons just kind of cowered below it so no one could see him, and we drove home. We got it stretched out to 25 feet, and we realized at 25 feet, you can't get it in the door, so we reconsolidated it, and then got up there, and my son changed it, and then he looked down at me, and he said, Dad, it's the wrong alarm. <laughs> we are listening to the wrong one. I think it's, it's in the one next door with like eight-foot ceilings, and I'm like, really? So we stepped down and go next door, and you, you didn't even need a ladder to change it. Climb up on a desk, got up, changed it. <laughs> it was it, the cost of a $9 battery versus a $300 ladder. Uh, you got to listen well, don't we? You got to be listening to the right one. And it's, it's, it's actually, by the way, I don't regret buying the ladder. It needed to happen. I'm very happy about my new ladder. If you want to borrow it, you're welcome to. I mean that. But it is hard to listen well, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of distortion out there. And so listening to the right people, the right voices is really critical. Interestingly, in Europe, you're actually barred from listening to the right Christian language voices on some university campuses. On one university campus, uh, it's called Free University in Brussels, Belgium. At this university campus, if you dare bring up the name of Jesus publicly... If you talk about Jesus publicly, it, you will incur a hostile mob, just like that. Free University, Brussels, Belgium. A fellow pastor shared with me when he was on campus teaching that he was told by their missionaries, do not mention the name of Jesus in public. If you do, you'll endanger the ministry of our missionaries. Okay? This, this university, I think, developed in the early or late 1830s, was built in response to the overwhelming Catholic influence in Belgium. So they pursued a very a humanitarian, very self-centered education. But isn't it interesting? Free university, you cannot talk about Jesus on campus. Okay? Another free university, Amsterdam, same title, free university in Amsterdam, is a university where you can go there and you're free to talk about whatever you want. If you want to talk about Jesus, you're more than welcome to. Here's my point. Everyone has a different definition of freedom. 
Some have a definition of freedom that is exclusive or marginalizing of even talking about the historical Jesus. Others have a definition of freedom that is open to talking about the historical Jesus at will. You have to decide what your definition is. And going back to the Pharaoh and Aaron episode, if you didn't get that, God gave Moses instructions to build a staff, and that staff would serve as a symbol of God's power. That staff, when it touched the waters of the Nile, would cause the waters of the Nile to turn to blood. Uh, That staff, by Moses and Aaron's command, would turn into a serpent. You've got two staffs, though. You've got the staff of... Aaron and Moses, and then you had the staff of Janus and Jambres, the magicians that served Pharaoh, that was capable of somehow magically transforming into a serpent as well. Two different serpents that were miraculously and or magically transformed. One will lead you in the direction towards the promised land. The other will keep you as a slave in Egypt. We have to be very careful about what we're listening to. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' co-workers, says, test the spirits. Think through it. Don't just assume. You shouldn't even assume that what you hear from me is, is right. You should double-check me. That's what the early Bereans did. Listen, listen, listen. Be careful. And in our, in our overstimulated culture, I think it's very hard to listen. Agreed? It's hard to listen. It's increasingly harder to listen because we've got, in our minds, fire alarms everywhere, don't we? Where are they? What causes terrible times? Two things. What causes terrible times is loving the wrong things. And what causes terrible times is listening to the wrong voices. Listen to the right voices. Now, let me transition into the second part of this chapter. What changes terrible times? I mean, what can transform difficulty into winning for you personally? That's what I want to speak to now. And I want to begin the second part of Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, personally, you know. This is Paul's last personal note to Timothy. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions and my sufferings, and what kinds of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, persecutions I endured, and I love this last part, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Now, just so you understand what's happening here, Paul is referencing what happened in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. This was during his uh, missionary journey when Paul was stoned. And it's highly probable that Timothy... Timothy's mother or his grandmother or extended family members, someone in that community actually saw Paul get stoned to the point of uh, the audience presuming he was dead. It was that barbaric. And Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, remember that you can endure all circumstances. What Paul's telling Timothy is what changes terrible times What changes them is the gospel for all circumstances. What changes terrible times and hopelessness is the hope of the gospel 
the Lord rescuing us from all challenges. The Lord rescuing us from all difficulties and all fears. That changes terrible times. Timothy, you've seen me go through these. You've seen my patience. You've seen my character. What will change difficult times for you or even terrible times? I just, I'll give you one assignment uh, of three. One is this. Identify a Paul in your life. Identify someone who's a little older than you. They could be younger. But someone who's maybe accomplished some things you haven't or has already traversed some land that you haven't yet. And it may be someone, I would imagine, that's already in your life. And they've made themselves available, but maybe you've kind of just not bit. Take a step and get someone in your life who's modeling the kind of character that you want to have, the kind of gospel life you want to have. And see if you can connect with them. Set a goal three times a year. Identify a Paul. I recently have had a guy in my life for about... Um, probably off and on for three years, but lately it's been more consistent. And he has made himself available to me, and I've, I've reasoned, this guy has gone through. He's got several decades ahead of me. Um, I myself see him through some seasons over some topography that I myself see myself going through. I need to just listen. And so I get a chance three times a year to connect with him. Identify a Paul. When you identify a Paul, You're embracing a gospel for all circumstances that can change uh, your terrible times into some great times of personal growth. Remember at the beginning of this year, our goal was, through Jesus, was to bear much fruit. Get a Paul in your life. I was so excited to hear today, men are stepping into these growth groups. Uh, they're They're growing. It's thrilling. That's where we grow with other men. Secondly... Embrace a gospel, not just for all circumstances. Embrace a gospel for all generations. Embrace a gospel for all, all generations. Look in verse 14. But as you continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue to grow in the Bible. Personally, And I got to tell you, I have been practicing this try giving Jesus the first 15 minutes of every day. And what has been new for me this year, we introduced this at the beginning of this year. This year I will. Giving Jesus the first 15 includes five minutes of worship music. Now, I'm not a real music guy in the morning, but I've started playing worship music first thing. And it helps me. I smile. I'm happier. Um, I'm more polite when getting ready. I share the coffee. It's been good for me. I encourage you as a way to to make certain the gospel is for you personally and your generation, give Jesus the first 15. Secondly, I encourage you to have some vision about your life and your, your legacy, your legacy with your children. What kind of conversations do you have about the scriptures, assuming you give Jesus the first 15, with your kids? Do you share the stories with your own children? Moms and dads, I think the best education you can give your kids is teaching them the Bible and helping them memorize certain passages. I know some people who've had tremendously exciting lives, and they attribute it their lives to what their mothers and fathers did to teach them. And grandparents, boy... Be bold and step in in the lives of your grandchildren. Don't hesitate to share the word, share the stories from the Bible with them. 
here's what I believe. I believe that the most important times we have are those moments where we're discussing and teaching God's word. When we do that, it is significant. I think the most important hour that happens every week is when all of our children's workers and youth workers are teaching our kids the Bible. I'm so grateful for them. Make certain the Bible is for your generation. And if you're without a lot of previous parents that knew the Lord, uh, moms and dads, grandparents that knew the Lord, you're the first generation, have a vision for reverse legacy. It's not unusual for a new believer to influence his parents. Let me tell you, my parents, my mom and stepdad go to this church. They were not Christians when I was a kid. Okay? My second stepdad is moving here this weekend or next weekend. I don't remember. And he's going to start coming here. I never imagined this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what God does. It's reverse influence. So don't, don't have vision for what God can do through the gospel. Lastly, what changes terrible times? It's a gospel for all circumstances. It's the gospel for all generations. And it's the gospel for all time. It's transcendental through the millennia, its influence in our lives. Let me read this final verse. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me just say it this way. The gospel has the power to make you become whom you were intended to be. The mother, the father, the the husband, the wife, the grandparent, the employee, the employer, the neighbor. It's the gospel that will transform you into the new creation you were intended to be. But you've got to give Jesus the first 15. You've got to have some people in your life around you that you trust that can help bring that out in you. I like this quote I want to read to from my manuscript, read from in my manuscript. Here it is. If we're not reading the Bible to get authority from it, we're not reading it. We're reading it for the wrong purpose. Let me say that again. If we're not reading the Bible to get authority from it, we're reading it for the wrong purpose. Let the Bible come into your life and transform you. Let it just own you. Let it lead you. And you are going to see there's people you can trust. There's the word of God you can trust. And there's the Lord Jesus who rescued Paul whom you can trust in this very day with any matter in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, that we are people we can trust, that the, there's the word of God that we can trust. Thank you that Jesus Christ personally, who rescues us, we can trust. And if you're here and you've never made a personal decision to trust Jesus, I invite you to right now from where you're seated to say, God, Today, I'm willing to begin my journey in trusting Jesus personally. Just say, God, help me trust Jesus personally. And if you're praying that prayer right now for the first time, I want to just you to acknowledge it with me. Would you just raise your hand? I want to celebrate that. Anyone? Saying, yeah, I want to acknowledge Jesus for the first time. Raise your hand so I can see it. Lord, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.